Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. So on this episode of the AAF Exchange, we're going to be talking about the economic impact and response of the COVID-19, and this is going to be part five. Last week, we said it was part three, but unfortunately, we uh, made a little goof, so we're going to we're going to go with part five this week. And joining us is going to be our uh, president of AAF, uh, Douglas Soltzegan. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you for getting the numbers right. It's fantastic. <laughs> Unfortunately, all the weeks are blending together at this point. Like, I don't know about you, but... You have my sympathy. I mean, as you know, I write an email to the staff at the end of each week, but I have to look at the previous one to figure out what week I'm on. I mean, it all, it all makes sense. You know, I look forward to it every weekend. Unfortunately, last weekend, my uh, my my phone was on power save mode, so I didn't see it until it was in, you know, until it was already Monday. Um, but <laughs> I do enjoy uh, the pictures of dealing with with uh, stay at home orders and all that. Well, it's it's a small contribution to our mental health if we have any left. <laughs> so so tonight I'm also going to be watching the uh, the NFL draft. I don't know about you, but that's the only sports sports uh, information I have right now that is uh, distracting me from uh, the fact that both Brady and Gronkowski are now in Tampa Bay. So, you know, I you should just change your loyalties, Kyle. I mean, you know, I, I might, I might, you know, see if my, uh, see if I can dye my Patriots jersey red at this point. But we'll see. <laughs> what else are we supposed to do? Um, so let's talk about uh, some economic news with with COVID nineteen. The big news of the week, of course, was uh, uh, effect on the oil futures market, uh, where the the price fell uh, below the dollar. Uh, can you just walk us through what's going on there? Well, there were really two things that went on that, that produced the drama this week. Um, first, you know, the pandemic has uh, decimated the demand for oil. Airlines aren't flying. Factories are shut down. Uh, the global economy has uh, slowed to a standstill uh, or worse. And so compared to the last year at this time, oil is down. Demand is down by over 20 percent. So that's going to um, put downward pressure on prices to begin with. Um Saudi Arabia and Russia, on top of that, decided to flood the market with oil in a, in a sort of competition to see who could take the most market share. So that, that in terms of the real price of oil, the, the uses of oil and the supply of oil, there was a lot of downward pressure. Uh, we get to this week, and the, the excitement in the financial markets is there was a contract for a futures contract for May oil. So this is oil that would be delivered. You'd have to take possession in May. And um, this week was the last week it traded. And when we got up to the last full day of trading, there are lots of people participating in that futures market who the last thing they want to do is actually take possession of oil. You have to have, arrange for transportation, you have to arrange for storage. They were in there largely as a financial speculation matter, hoping to be on the right side of the futures market as it went up or down and make a little money. But every one of those financial participants was trying to get out. And as they tried to get out, they in the end, not only got zero for their contract, they started having to pay people to take it. And so we saw the price of a futures contract go below zero. And indeed, uh, it peaked at negative $37. Um, so for a barrel of oil, you'd have to pay them $37 to take it. Um, two days later, we, we got prices back to uh, um, something that seems more sensible, you know, $9, $10, $11. Uh, that, that's where oil is right now. So we're, we're past this sort of financial blip. We're back to looking at the the real oil um, conditions, and, and they are, quite frankly, 
not very good. What does that What does that mean for the average person? Like, obviously, we drive past the uh, the gas station, and we can all see the oil the oil prices. But you know, what's the the good and the bad for the average person with this? And th- this used to be a strictly good news story. We were, you know, importers of oil, and uh, when prices went down, gas got cheaper, and it was like getting a tax cut. And we would do we'd essentially think about it that way. Uh, now that the U.S. is the largest exporter of oil products, uh, this hurts uh, the producers of those products, and it hurts the workers in those industries. And there's a big concentration of them in, you know, in Texas and California and uh, Oklahoma places you would expect. Um, and it has feedback into the rest of the economy because the oil business, and along with natural gas, has been a big consumer of investment products. So they, you know, they want to build new wells. They're looking for machinery and that feeds into primary metals. And so all that slowdown in business investment is is on top of all the other problems we've got right now. So um, the other big news of the week, of course, was uh, Congress has been working on the uh, the, pay, the Paycheck Protection uh, Increase Act. Um, it passed the Senate by unanimous consent a couple of days ago. Um, I think it was yesterday, actually. We're recording on Thursday. Um, the House is supposed to take it up today and I think pass it today. Central to the bill was of course pass uh boosting money to the uh the cent- the uh small business loans. Do you see any problems with attach with with attaching additional money to this bill? Um should budget watchers be concerned? Well I, I think the issue of attaching additional mud money to the bill is more timing than anything else. The the attaching of the hospital aid um slowed down the passage of the act and as a result, slowed down the distribution of these funds to small businesses. It is no secret that there are a lot of businesses that are not in, just in a world of hurt, and every day matters. Um, you know, the other news we got today was that an additional 4.4 million uh, workers filed new claims for unemployment insurance. That brings us to uh, about 26, 27 million over the past five weeks. That means about 15 to 17 percent of those who previously were employed. Are, are now looking for UI. So, you know, the corresponding uh, impact on those businesses is just as big. We're looking at numbers like 20% down everywhere you look. A lot of businesses aren't going to make it without that help. So I think that speed matters now. It is of the essence in the design of these programs, in the funding of these programs. And now we just have to see if the banks can get the money out fast enough to make sure some of these, these businesses hang on and hang on to their workers, importantly. In the end, the real goal is to preserve paychecks, make sure people continue to get paid, make sure they continue to have an attachment to their employer. And that's how this should be judged, not the businesses so much. Right. So is is this money actually getting to the mom and pop shops that it's supposed to be helping? I mean, I remember hearing a couple of stories this week about Shake Shack, you know, having to return money, um, a couple of other businesses having to do that. Is there any issues with the way this money is being distributed? Well, they're, they're, the the question is, how do you think about a a franchise like a Shake Shack that has lots of individual locations, which are small businesses, but which it collectively is a very large enterprise? And hotel chains would be the same thing. There are all sorts of uh, business configurations that look like that. Do you think it's an inappropriate use of this money to have those kinds of um, entities getting it? Or is it okay because, you know, these are employees and they're staying attached to their local Shake Shack? I think the balance of public opinion has said, no, we want this genuinely going to sort of single or dual location mom and pops. And there, I think it's an open question as to how successful the program has been so far. It's there's a, you know, we've asked 
the Small Business Administration to do the impossible. They're, they are an entity that was uh, capable of, of, you know, guaranteeing $28 billion in loans last year. They were built for about that scale. We're now going to ask them to do $600 billion total. So they are supposed to get 20 times bigger overnight. And, and I don't know any entity that can do that. Like if we tried to make AAF 20 times bigger overnight, would we, would we be functional? I don't think so. I think that would bring a lot of management problems. I think it would be a lot of communication problems. And we're seeing all that with the, with the SBA. And, it, and I think it's unavoidable. I mean, you hope they get through it as best they can. Do you think we'll be uh, back here in another couple of weeks reallocating more money to the, uh, to the program? It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, if you think of the economic problem we're trying to solve, there was about a trillion dollars worth of revenue that's just disappearing uh, for, for these, these firms. Um, we're trying to, to sort of get them to cover not all the revenue, but all the payroll costs so that they continue to employ people. Um, so $600 billion is probably not all of that, and they might be back. And if they are, that's success. Right? That's the right way to think about it. The goal here is to have the money go out. It is to have the people have it in their pockets, not having it sitting over at the SBA. So having them ask for more money, in my view, is a good thing. So also in the bill, um, AAF's director of healthcare policy, Christopher Holt, um, also wrote this week, you know, additional healthcare funding was in this bill. Uh, it was a compromise as Democrats were pushing for uh, more, a lot more, while Republicans only wanted, you know, uh, money for the small business program. Um, do you see any problems with what Congress did here? No, not really. I think that, um, you know, some of this was, quite frankly, just a, a, a classic a turf war on who is going to control the the testing and and the development and rollout of, of some different tests. Uh, it's a shame that something like that tied up this bill for several days. Uh, some of it is money that the hospitals are just going to need. We're, we're seeing, in addition to the very real health threats that they are both uh, addressing and living with, the as as the front lines of the fight against the COVID nineteen, uh, they have big financial problems. The places hospitals make money are things like elective surgeries, you know, hip replacements, knee replacements, things that maybe you didn't have to do this week, but but that, that's what, what you choose to do. All of that's been pushed out by the dealing with the COVID cases. And so we're seeing layoffs across the hospital sector and, and getting them some money to keep things going is, is actually an important issue. So Chris also noted there was some controversy around how the original health care money was spent you know, part of the CARES Act. Um, but this bill didn't really fix any of those controversial things. What's going on there? Um, there are controversies about the, the Paycheck Protection Program, like which firms are, are getting it. There are controversies about how HHS is sending out the, the money to the hospitals. They use the uh, sort of the Medicare um, traditional fee-for-service sort of uh, book of business to guide who got it. That, that's, there's no real reason why that might match up with who's got the pressures from COVID-19. We know, for example, uh, the Medicare book of business in New York City looks nothing like the fraction of the, of the COVID cases they're dealing with. So almost by definition, they're not matching up very well. And there's a lot of controversy about that. But there was a conscious decision made to not do new policy in the, the bill. I mean, they, could, they could have said, OK, we're going to fix some things in the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, they could have said, we're going to fix up some things in, in the hospital. But by and large, they just put money out there. They didn't write a lot of new policy language because that would have gotten in the way of getting unanimous consent, getting it out of the Senate quickly. 
And and so it's a pretty minimal footprint for those kinds of things. So it's a lot of just, you know, like putting more money behind the programs that are existed and the policies that are existed. To the extent that they made changes, they did some modest things like say, look, these 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 farm organizations are eligible for PPP. Fine. That, you know, there were not dramatic changes. I, for example, would would have loved if they had um, legislated uh, a very clear safe harbor for the banks so that if there was any misrepresentation of any type by a business to them, they would not be held liable for it in any way in the years to come. I, I think that would ha- cause them to hesitate less in making these loans. The money would go out faster. I think that'd be a good thing. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't do that. So while we're on the topic of healthcare, um, Chris also pointed out in his weekly checkup last week that um, COVID nineteen is producing a lot of newly uninsured individuals. Um, what kind of an impact is this having on the economy? What, what if anything, should policymakers be thinking about while this is happening? I think that's a, a story for the second half of this year. Um, you know, right now, nobody goes to the doctor's office for um, uh, anything other than a COVID case, by and large. Right? People are avoiding those kinds of things. So the, the newly uninsured don't really have medical bills to submit or you know, uh, pay for. But that's not going to last forever. When we get past the peak of this, we're going to start to see people utilize the healthcare system uh, again. And, and of these 27 million new applicants for unemployment insurance, many are going to be uninsured. And the question is, how will they pay their medical bills? That'll matter for them. That'll matter for doctors, providers, dentists, all those folks. And we're going to see that in the second half of this year. So maybe a conversation for a phase four package. Yeah, I, I honestly am uh, worried about this issue. Um, I, I think it's a fair statement to say that how you cover the uninsured has been a political football for years, has not been resolved cleanly ever, and we're in the middle of a crisis, and we're going to have the same thing again. So I'm I'm, I'm worried about how this is going to play out between Congress and the administration, and between the, the houses of Congress. All right, so let's turn let's turn to. Uh, talk a little bit about unemployment insurance. Uh, when we spoke a few weeks ago on this podcast, you outlined issues you had, um, you know, that it made almost more sense to be on that than beneficial, you know, like it was more beneficial to be on unemployment than, than to be working. Um, did what Congress just passed uh, fix that, worsen the concerns, keep it neutral? Uh, d- didn't change it a bit. The, the basic issue is that the CARES Act, the big um, uh, bill that passed a little while back, included a $600 a week federal bonus on top of the regular state unemployment insurance benefit. Uh, that bonus will last until the end of July. So at a 40-hour work week, that's a $15 an hour bonus. So people who are on unemployment insurance are getting more than $15 an hour, perhaps substantially more depending on the state they're in. And if, if you look at a lot of the small businesses that are going to try to reopen, they don't pay. 18, 19, 20 dollars an hour. And if they ask their workers to come back, many of them are going to say, no, thanks. I, I'm better off health-wise, not exposing myself, but I'm better off financially being on unemployment insurance. And that's going to be a real uh problem for for anyone who's trying to do an early reopening in you know June, July, uh, or, or May for that matter. Um and, and I, I think that's that's gonna be a substantial issue. You know, we saw the announcement. This week from the governor of Georgia that he intends to open businesses there. Uh, not all will choose to open, but those who do, uh, many of these are, are exactly the kinds of businesses that are going to struggle 
when competing with uh, something that's more than $15 an hour. So we'll see how that works out. Do you, do you think this is a fix that like a, that Congress has to deal with at this point? I think the most important thing is to not renew it. Uh, by and large, I didn't think it would be extremely harmful because by and large, uh, you know, between now and July, a lot of people are going to be, you know, not trying to get a job because of the, of the health conditions, if nothing else. So I don't think that they, I don't think it's politically feasible to go back and take it away. I just don't think it should be extended. If Congress wants to help sort of low wage workers in this environment, I think the right thing to do is take that $600 a week and transfer it to, to people who have a job. Like if you get a job, you get to keep getting your $600 a week. That gives you an incentive to go get a job instead of not get a job. So they could just switch it over and, and make it a, a, essentially a hiring bonus. That'd be fine. So the other thing I've, I've seen a little bit about is uh, um, I was watching Bloomberg the other day, and I think the lieutenant governor of Michigan was on. Um, and they're talking about, you know, aid for states and lo states and local governments at this point. Um, was anything in this bill, was there anything in this bill that actually helps cities and local governments address their budget shortfalls? Uh, no. Uh, so, you know, for, for those who are thinking about it, you know, what we saw across the economy is this sort of massive disappearance of the consumers. So massive disappearance of any revenue for firms. But that also means a massive disappearance of sales tax revenue for states and localities, income tax revenue, payroll taxes for states and localities. So they, they, they have very real budget problems. Um, they look to be the same kind of economic problem we're trying to address with paycheck protection and with the federal loan programs that are being run by the Federal Reserve uh, uh, Board. Um, so that the states need bridge financing to get back to the point where the money starts flowing back in. There is something already out there. They, they did put $150 billion in the original CARES Act. They have one of the Federal Reserve lending facilities is available for states and localities if they want to go there and borrow to, to cover their, their shortfall. So it's not like there's nothing out there for them at the moment. Um, but I think the concern is that instead of using whatever aid they get to deal with the problems produced by the pandemic, they will instead use that money and devote it to some longstanding state budget problems like their pension programs. And, and that's really not an appropriate use of, of the, the, the funds being borrowed. They were already there. They were there. There are problems. It's real. Um, you know, Illinois is the poster child of this with, with an enormous uh, pension problem. And I've always thought to uh, his credit, despite what must have been enormous pressure, uh, then President Obama did not offer to bail out Illinois. And so what you don't want to do is having, you know, made that, that firm uh, line in the sand to have the, the pandemic be an excuse to somehow throw money at every problem. And, and so I think that's the issue that we're going to face going forward. What about this conversation about uh, um, states and local governments filing for bankruptcy? Is that viable? What, what What's going on there? Um, municipalities uh, can have a file for bankruptcy. And, and like all bankruptcy proceedings, they are it's called bankruptcy protection. Like you, you enter the court's protection. You no longer have to pay every dollar of what uh, you owe. Instead, your creditors get, you know, hopefully uh, 90 cents on the dollar, but maybe just pennies on the dollar, depending on how big the problem is. Um, states cannot enter bankruptcy. There, are, there is no state bankruptcy provision. So what's being uh, bandied about is whether the right thing for Congress to do is to deal with these structural problems 
by creating a way for states to simply go into bankruptcy protection and reduce their their pension liabilities. That that's the issue. Would it be something similar to like expanding uh, what Detroit went through several 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 years ago with to states? Yeah, it would. And you know, historically, we've had states that have actually defaulted on their bonds and and, and failed in some ways. Uh, the biggest wave of that was actually uh, back when they built the Erie Canal. Lots of states thought canals are going to be great, and so they borrowed money, built canals. Erie Canal is the only one that ever made any money. And so we had a whole wave of state financial problems back in the 1800s because of excessive canal building. They all make great walking and running trails now, but but they weren't very successful as a commer- as a commercial matter. I'll pass on walking or running through them. But, <laughs> you know, I guess some people might enjoy that. Uh, um, was there anything else in this bill that you know is worth knowing about, good or bad? No, I think that covers the the waterfront of what's in there, and um, you know, it, as you've heard. Uh, lots of legislators are uh, eager to, to take on another round. They have their list of what they believe to be deserving subjects. You know, I, I think the most important thing is for us to keep our eye on the ball, and that is how can we get the economy uh, moving again? That, in the end, solves problems. Uh, all we're doing through the Congress is borrowing money from our kids and their kids to pretend to solve the problem. Getting the economy going again is the real solution. So at least with this bill, we avoided any pet projects, but we still should be watching out for for anything. Yeah, I I, I believe the top priority right now is speed. Um, You know, this this has been an incredibly fast moving uh, disease. It's had an incredibly fast moving economic impact. We have never before seen, you know, almost 20 percent of the labor of the workforce lose their job in the space of a little over a month. So this is unimaginable by historical standards. So speed, you know, is appropriate. Speed will produce mistakes. And it will produce uh, uh, stories a year from now, two years from now, of how the money went to somebody who didn't deserve it or or they wasted it or you know, name it. We're going to hear that. The, the stories are going to come. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've been, in, I've been in D.C. for, what, 10 years now. You've been here a lot longer. And I, I... Well, don't make it sound like I'm ancient. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, I'll, you know, just let that pitch go by. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, I, I haven't seen anything move this fast in terms of legislation, even with the arguments going on. It's amazing. It really is. It is. It's important always to emphasize that we are witnessing history. Like, it, it's really important to appreciate the magnitude of what's going on, the speed at which it's happening. and you know, scale our expectations appropriately. This is an enormously difficult economic problem. It's an enormously difficult public health problem. And, you know, if people don't, you know, easily solve it, that's understandable. So, I mean, what about the Federal Reserve? I mean, we've been talking about that a couple of weeks ago. Um, what have, are, are they taking any recent actions to keep the economy going? Uh, they have done a great job um, in, in the following sense. Uh, there was a massive scramble for cash. You know, everybody lost their business. You know, they, they, there were no customers. Uh, they had to pay people. They needed money to do it. And so they started selling anything they had to try to raise cash. Uh, the Federal Reserve recognized that there was this enormous sell-off going on, there an enormous demand for money, and they supplied it. They, they went out and just flooded markets with lots of liquidity, um, did a very good job of keeping the genuine crisis on Main Street from shifting over and producing a a parallel crisis on Wall Street and in banks. 
that they've insulated that. That didn't happen. That's very good. Um, now they're being used um, proactively to try to push out loans to the businesses, the states, localities, and and um, there, I, I don't think they're doing quite as good a job. Um, the the Congress in the CARES Act uh, allocated almost half a trillion dollars to the Treasury uh, to backstop these loans to, to businesses. And the basic idea is you're, we're, we're going to give loans to the bigger businesses. And, you know, times are tough, so they're probably going to lose some money on those. And we'll use that half a trillion dollars to pay off those losses when they occur. The Federal Reserve is, is issuing these loans on terms which they believe on average will not lose money. And so they are charging higher interest rates than they might otherwise do. They are screening out uh, bad, quote, bad borrowers. But but in the in the moment, bad borrowers are the people we want to get money to. They're in trouble. And so I think they're being essentially too stringent in their criteria. The whole point was to lose a half a trillion dollars. Get it out there. Get it in the hands of Americans. And if it doesn't come back, then that's OK. The, the point is to get it out there. If you make it difficult for people to apply for a loan, there's like a 1% origination fee and things like that. They won't apply or they'll borrow too little and the, the program will underperform. So I think that's a concern right now. So what about uh, economic indicators? I mean, you already mentioned the unemployment uh, numbers that ca that came out uh, for people that applied. What what are you looking at? What are they telling us? Um, I, I That's the best real-time indicator we have is the new claims for UI. Um, they're, they're telling us that there's an enormous amount of economic damage out there. This is unprecedentedly large, unprecedentedly fast. You know, previously, the, the biggest uh, one-week increase in claims was 600,000. That was back in the financial crisis. Now we're getting numbers in the millions every week. And so, yeah. again, this is history. We've never seen anything like this. That's incredible. Um, any words, final words of optimism for, any, for our listeners? I, I think people should remain optimistic. Uh, you know, the, the U.S. economy is the largest, strongest um, economy the world has ever seen. And um, certainly it has been badly damaged, but, but it came into this um, uh, pandemic in good shape. And uh, if we do a good job of preserving that economic infrastructure uh, through the crisis, then, then I expect us to resume growing. Uh, maybe not zooming like a rocket right away, but we'll, we'll pick up the pace as time passes. How do you think your Steelers do tonight? Uh, oh, the Steelers will draft well, and um, you know we'll just spend next season laughing at the Patriots. Oh man, that's going to be a long season. <laughs> Hard to tell. I'll have to uh, I'll have to leave before then. But I'm excited for 12 draft picks. That's what I'm excited for. Belichick has 12 draft picks. That's what I'm excited for. Um, I sort of thought you were going to say I'm excited to work at AAF, but okay. <laughs> I'm also excited to come back. Doug, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.